0: Welcome to Crosswalk Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Crosswalk Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. Take your Bibles and join us today in Romans chapter 1 as we consider the righteous wrath of God as it relates to sexual sin. Romans chapter one and this has been a day that I have prepared for diligently for some time and yet all the while preparing have in a sense dreaded it I don't not not because it's God's word I don't, I don't dread it because it's God's word I dread it because uh, in a sense of it is very weighty it is extremely weighty subject especially as we approach the end of this chapter in light of our culture and things that are going on in the world around us today especially in America and as we've already seen the, this chapter is extremely weighty anyway after Paul's greeting greetings in verses 1 through 7 and then in verses 8 through 15 his comments on his desire to come to Rome and his eagerness to preach the gospel Paul straightway dives into what I call deep waters. He doesn't waste any time getting to the heart of the matter of what he's wanting to communicate to you. As I said before, from verse 16 of chapter 1, uh, some say verse 18, but all the way to verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul addresses what John Murray referred to as the universality of sin and condemnation. That is, man's unrighteousness and God's righteousness is clearly the theme Paul develops in these verses. And so, before moving into God's remedy, why would you jump into the remedy without first exposing the, the disease? And so that is exactly what he does in these first verses, roughly around roughly 81 verses of the first three chapters where he deals with this. For it's important for us to remember... That at the time of Paul's writing of this letter to the Romans, there is no solid evidence nor any real reason to believe that the church at Rome had had any direct apostolic instruction or teaching. It is also important for us to remember Paul is, in his letter, addressing a church that has become, by this time, largely Gentile. Much of what? Paul addresses or deals with specifically would have relevance to the Gentiles who were now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in in regards to the way they had previously lived their lives and the culture in which they were oriented. And so with that said, I I repeat, sin is universal. Both Jew and Gentile needed the gospel. Paul tells us that. He says in verse 23 of chapter 3, he says, "...for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." So, after establishing the importance of the gospel in verses 16 and 17, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, Paul now reveals God's disposition towards man's unrighteousness. And in verse 18, He immediately speaks of God's wrath. A subject, again, as I've said to you in the last couple of weeks, something we don't hear much about from pulpits today. But he immediately speaks of God's wrath. In the terms of saying, all against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And Paul then brings a very serious charge against men. He says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we've already seen. This is a serious matter, just the the notion, the idea of suppressing the truth. Because really, as you'll see even this morning, that is the underlying factor here, is a suppression of the truth. And I try to be very explicit in laying out what that literally meant in Paul's mind and in his writings. And in verses 19 through 23, Paul further expounds, on man's actions against God, which resulted in futility of thinking. We see that in verse 21. And then also in verse 21 of chapter 1, we see that their foolish hearts were darkened. Then we see in verse 22, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then in verse 23, we see the first of these three exchanges that Paul speaks of in this chapter. The first exchange shows us the beginning of human depravity, which becomes increasingly rampant. And the first exchange we see in verse 23 is the glory. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. And this is clearly, we can sum that up, can't we, church, in one word? What word might we sum that up in if we were thinking about it? It would be idolatry. Because what idolatry does is exposes, it reveals the futility of unregenerate man's thinking as well as the darkness of his heart. Now, I want you to look at a a passage of Scripture that in the last few weeks I have referred to, but I've not actually had you turn there. But this morning, while you're holding your finger in Romans chapter 1, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah's prophecy. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. In Isaiah 44, and I want to read verses 9 through 20. I know it sounds like a lot of verses. But it's pertinent to what we're talking about here. Because in this passage, in fact, you have the English Standard Version. It is subtitled, The Folly of Idolatry. Now listen to this, because what this does is this really exposes us to the futility. And as the writer says here, the folly of idolatry altogether. He says in verse 9, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witness neither see nor hear. Their witnesses neither see nor hear that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God uh, or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith makes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He makes it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars and he chooses a cypress tree, an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it, warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see. And their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on his coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. Now listen to this. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Calvin stated it this way. He said, and I paraphrase, Man's heart is a perpetual factory of idols. And how true that really is. And back in Romans chapter 1 verse 24, we see the first action Of God's wrath. And look at what it says in verse 24 of Romans 1. It says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And gave them up, as I told you last Sunday, is an intense Greek verb. It's the Greek word paraditome, which means to hand over to give over into one's power or use. In other words, what in essence is being said here is that God, in effect, withdraws His hand and in doing so, gives them over to the very things that they preferred rather than Him. In other words, it's God literally withdrawing Himself and yet at the same time handing Himself over to the things that they preferred other than him and then in verse 25 paul gives us the second of the three exchanges they exchange the truth about god for a lie and the truth is very clearly spelled out for us in these verses god exists he is the creator and as a result of being the creator as a result of existing, god is and that god is the creator is worthy of all honor worthy of all praise and worthy of all worship But then they exchanged that truth for a lie that God does not exist, even though God had clearly shown Himself to them in the very things that He made. They refused to acknowledge Him. They refused to give any credit to Him. So they said God does not exist. Sound familiar? And they give all praise and honor and worship to anything and everything other than God. So that's the truth that they exchange for a lie. And I think it's very important to look back at verse 24 and what Paul says, which has a strong impact on what he will say later, as we look in our verses this morning. What specifically is it that Paul said God gives them up to? He says to two things. He says to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. And those are powerful words the last one impurity, a catharsia in the Greek, is almost always used and listen, this is very important is almost always used with in regards to immorality, especially especially. Sexual immorality. Almost a dozen references I could have given you this morning, but for the sake of time I won't give you where that word akatharsia is used, where that is exactly the context in which it is used. Sexual immorality. Now this is very important in light of what Paul says in the next seven verses. In fact... The content of what Paul says, even in more verses than that, from verse 24 all the way to the end of this chapter in verse 32, determines what he means by the use of the word akatharsia. To try to use it any other way, as some revisionists have attempted to do, is fruitless because it's just totally out of of context. It, It means nothing. And it also adds to the text or reads into the text something that Paul absolutely does not intend. So we see the first thing Paul says they are given up to is moral, immoral sexual impurity. has to do with morals. And then in verse 26, look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions... For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So Paul continues. This time he further drives his point home by giving further insight into the depth of man's depravity. Now, I'm going to pause for just a moment here because... Right now, I realize that I am about to wade out into deep waters. And I am about to, in fact, go beyond the point of wading, of actually treading water here. Because of the depth of this. And every time you ever address these issues that Paul is addressing here, it should be done with all seriousness. And with all uh sensitivity toward the the issue that you are dealing with and that he's dealing with here but i'm going to tell you something with that said it is clear the text is clear years ago and even not just years ago but just even up in the last few weeks or so as i have been preparing for this message this morning i have read numerous resources from biblical revisionists and liberals, and I don't mean that in a political liberal sense, I mean theological liberals who have performed tremendous exegetical and theological um, acrobatics to reinterpret or to redefine these verses. And so I, I know that the objections are out there, and the obje- objections are easily answered once you know where they are coming from but the text is extremely clear as I hope to show you this morning as if being given over going back for a moment to verse 24 and 25 if being as if giving being given over to the lust of their hearts to impurity thereby dishonoring their bodies among themselves was not enough now they are given up to dishonorable passions In other words, shameful passions. Now how are these dishonorable passions, these shameful passions manifested? Paul is very clear. And look at what he writes. And let me remind us that this is not Paul's opinion as I heard someone say. He is writing how? He is writing under the inspiration. This this is Theoponoustos. This is God-inspired, God-breathed, God's inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word. He's not merely giving you His opinion. He's writing as the Spirit of God is moving upon Him, literally pinning the words that God is impressing upon His very mind and His very spirit. And Listen to what He says. He says, For their women... Exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And here is the third exchange given in two parts. The first part of the third exchange is this. Natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Now, this, this is a voluntary act. Women voluntarily exchanged the natural function for that what which is against nature. It is clear from the text that Paul is writing of giving up natural relations with members of the opposite sex for relations with those of the same sex. In other words, homosexual activity or behavior. Now, surprisingly, do you, you may find this as I did, a surprise. Surprisingly, Paul... First addresses the homosexual behavior of women. Does that not, has that not caught your attention when you read this text? You know, well, you know, Paul was a male chauvinist. He has something against women anyway, so he went right after them, right? And we know that's not true. But it's been suggested, suggested, and this is actually my position, because I believe the suggestion is with merit, that the order that we see here is intended by the Holy Spirit and the author, Paul to add to the shock factor of what we're reading. For example, I like what MacArthur says in his comments about this. He says, quote, In most cultures, women have been more reluctant than men to become involved in sexual promiscuity or homosexuality. End of quote. And that's true. That is historically true in regards to the human race. In fact, the great Bible commentator in late... Theologian, the late Charles Hodge, wrote this in his commentary on the book of Romans. He says, Paul first refers to the degradation of females among the heathen. By the way, when it says women, it doesn't use, Paul's not using the normal Greek word for women there. He's actually using the Greek word female which is translated in our English translation as women. But as Hodge points out here, he says, Paul first refers to the degradation of the females among the heathen because they are always last to be affected in the decay of morals. And their corruption therefore is therefore proof that all virtue is lost. In other words, what's being said here, Paul is saying, by virtue of the fact that women are now doing this, those who we would deem the last of our culture, of our civilization, to ever involve themselves in this type of activity, the very fact that now they are doing this shows us the state in which we have degraded and have gone. And this is borne out. In fact, in the King James translation, if you have the King James Bible sitting in front of you, the King James reads like this, For even... Their women did exchange the natural use into that which is against nature. For even, that use of the word even, if I were to say even you or even me, what does that that express? It expresses a sense of sorrow. Even their women. Hence the apostle's sorrow and how low these dishonorable passions have taken people specifically first mentioned women now lest there be any misunderstanding of what Paul is writing of or concerning which is made very clear it serves us well to look at the Holy Spirit's choice of words look at what he says here he says natural relations those that are contrary to nature relations is the Greek word "krasis." And, and the word it was used most often in Greek writings, as well as our Greek New Testament, most often of a sexual relationship between a man and a woman. In fact, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that is the Greek word chrysis that is actually used when it talks about Adam knowing his wife. It talks about the relationships that exist between husbands and wives or men and women, specifically intercourse. And so any attempt to argue that this is only conjecture on the part of commentators is without any merit whatsoever. The context in which this word is used clearly establishes its meaning. And then there's the word nature. The word nature, phusis in the Greek, is another way of saying natural condition or circumstance determined by birth. So they forsake Natural relations, specifically sexual relations, for that which is in opposition to their, what has been determined by their birth. And so clearly, what they exchanged was sexual relations with men, which was natural, for sexual relations with other women, which was unnatural or against nature. They chose to exchange it. And then Paul immediately turns to men in verse 27. He just doesn't stay on women Look what he says in verse 27 after commenting on the women there. He says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So the use of the word likewise, which means similarly or in the same way, links the activity of men to that of the women and vice versa. It's abundantly clear from what is said concerning the men that theirs is the same shameless acts committed by women, which is homosexual behavior or conduct. Now, what was the motivation? What was the motivation for such debauchery, for such shameful acts? Well, he tells us it is a consuming passion in verse 24, as we've already seen in verse 24, and especially in verse 26, they have been given up to this. There is at this point nothing, nothing to stop them. Think about this for a moment. If, if God were to withdraw His hand, as Paul tells us He does here, and give someone over to the very things that they want more than Him, what is it to stop them? What is it to stop them? Well, the reality of the matter is at this point, there is nothing to stop them. These desires, these passions are consuming. And the text is clear. Paul views homosexual activity, female and or male, as shameful and indecent. Now, with this said, there's something else we must not overlook. And all this goes back to verse 18. In verse 18, where he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And Paul's reference to suppressing the truth. Homosexual behavior is exceptionally debauched because, here's the reason, it flies in the face of God and its blatant opposition to His good designs. The references in this passage of Scripture to creation are abundant. And so Paul is referring to the whole God as creator and to all of creation. As we look at creation, for example, and we look at God's created order, we don't see this in the natural order. We don't see this in the natural order of things. And this flies in the face and opposition to Him. The male-female relationship is that relationship created by, listen, created by and ordained by God. In fact, I threw two pages of notes away. Where I just took that one sentence and I developed and said, No, if I do that, I'll never finish the exposition of this chapter this morning. Where I really wanted to say, okay, let's look at how this really is God's design. The relationship that has been created and ordained by God. 127. God created them. Male and female. In His image. Created them in His image. Both male and female. And then in, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, you have the reaccount of the creation of Eve taken from Adam. To be beside him, to be his helpmate, to be his his. Support, in a sense. And you see that complementary relationship that exists between husband and wives. And that's the order that's ordained by God. Homosexual practice is sinful because it violates the divine design in creation. Those who engage in homosexual conduct have suppressed God's truth in unrighteousness. And this is the message of the text. Friends, I know, I know, this has become a highly contested subject in our day. And Paul's letter to the Romans could be front page news in our present day, couldn't it? In fact, you know what? It is. Just open your newspaper. In fact, in just a few moments, I will be bringing out a reference to... Uh, Just how this this is just a section from April 15th, A.D. 36. No, no, really. It's 2015. And this is your news journal. You see those articles? Those are on this issue. These are letters to the editor on this issue. Because someone brought it up in a letter to the editor. And so this, we're not talking about something that's insignificant, something that's unimportant, something that doesn't matter at all. In fact, it is front page news. Almost daily, these topics make its way into the news. You have been listening to Crosswalk Radio. And while we have considered a portion of this important topic We will continue in part two next time, and we encourage you to join us then. Thank you for tuning in today, and please continue to tune in to Crosswalk Radio, where we are teaching, touching, and transforming lives by faithfully proclaiming God's Word.